end. Acts chapter 7, we'll read verses 1 to 4, we'll pray and get into the message today. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, this is Stephen, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charan. He said unto him, get thee out of thy country <clears throat> and from thy kindred and come into a land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the, Cal of, of the Chaldean and dwelt in Charan and from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come before you this morning. We thank you, Father, for this portion of scripture. We ask and pray that you would teach us from your word the wonderful words of life, the promise given to, uh, to, to Abraham and uh, by faith how we can attain to that promise, even being Gentiles. We thank you for the promise. Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts and every single one of us here today. We pray for those that can't be with us, those that are sick, Lord, those that are away on a break, we pray that you would give them the grace that they need to continue uh, to look to you in all things. Father, we love you. We know we are loved by you. And we thank you for your son. And it's in his name we give thanks and pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. In our passage before us, we find Stephen give a biblical history lesson that begins with the life of Abraham and finishes with the life of Christ. At the end of Acts chapter 6, Jesus is, uh, sorry, Stephen is falsely accused for undermining the law of Moses. There were some who were set up to be false witnesses against Stephen, to testify against him, to say that he was speaking blasphemous words against the law of Moses. The truth of the matter is Stephen was speaking the truth with the wisdom of God, by the Holy Spirit, so much so that they were, uh, you know, uh, convicted and weren't able to, uh, you know, deny the words that he spoke. Notice Acts 6 verse 10. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. The only way they could discredit Stephen was to set up false witnesses and false accusers to accuse him. Look at verse 11. Then they subordinated men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So when the religious rulers were not able to respond to the truth, they resorted to false accusations and lies. Uh, this is only history repeating itself. It's what happened to Jesus. They pinned Jesus with the same kind of accusations and ended up crucifying him. The Bible says they supported men. In other words, they introduced and seduced men, <coughs> set them up as false witnesses to speak against Stephen. And uh, we see that in verse 13. And when they heard him speak, when they heard him speak, that's when they falsely say, that, sorry, they said, we have heard him speak. Speak what? These false witnesses said, we, 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 we heard him ourselves say this and say that against Moses and God. Well, they didn't hear anything of the sort because he was speaking the truth of God's word. He was speaking that uh, uh, thing that which was commanded him to speak and called to speak. It was a message that came from God. And so now we find the priests and the high priests uh, in verse 1 appealed to Stephen uh, regarding these accusations that were put forth against him by asking him this question, are these things so? Is this true? Are you speaking against the law of Moses? Are you speaking against the things of God? How do you plead? And so Stephen responds in a way where he begins to... Uh, give them this Old Testament history lesson that brings them to Christ and the gospel. He, uh, he comes to the point where he responds to the false accusations uh, with a discourse and description and teaching the word of God from beginning, if you will, to end. And uh, starting uh, from the Old Testament and then concluding uh, with rebuking the Jewish leaders for rejecting their promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. So all Stephen cared about was the truth being revealed. That's all he cared about. And you know what? The ultimate way, the ultimate way to combat false accusations is by the truth. By the truth. Truth prevails at the end of all things. 
And so Stephen cared about the truth, he revealed it, and, and uh, the, the false accusations were just a smokescreen. That's all they were to deter Stephen from preaching the gospel. And Stephen didn't care about himself. He didn't care uh, about you know, these uh, accusations so much so about the truth being revealed, but rather he desired to preach the word of God, the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ. So Stephen gives them a history lesson that would soon expose the repetitive rejection of the Messiah and the plan of salvation which God had planned through him. And, uh, and, and he starts with Abraham, which we will see. Uh, and then he goes to Joseph, Moses, David, the prophets, and then ends up with Christ. But I want to speak about the life of Abraham and, and uh, pretty much the call of Abraham this morning and, and uh, encourage our, uh, our lives as Christians by using this man's faith. In Acts chapter 7, verse 2, he calls them to uh, hear <clears throat> uh, his message or his history lesson that he, he brings to their attention how God appeared to Abraham. And uh, he uses that to show them that, you know, the promise that was given to Abraham, well, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And, uh, and we can get more information in Hebrews 11 if you want to turn there. Go to Hebrews 11. We'll get a little bit more information about the life of Abraham. <clears throat> Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 to verse 10 of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he was caught, what was that word? When he was what? Called to go out into a place which he should have to receive, for an inheritance obeyed and went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs which with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was who? God. And so the details of the story of Abraham is well known both to Jews and Christians. It's based upon God's unconditional promise given to Abraham. The covenants consist of blessings both to Abraham and those who by faith believe on God and follow his ways. And of course, his way being that Christ will come into the world and he is the way, the truth and the life and no man cometh to the Father but by him. And so we see Abraham is known as the father of the faith, the father of the believing, if you will. And so he is one of the Old Testament greatest examples uh, of faith, Abraham. Abraham's faith was in God's word and uh, it, it, it was who, who made him leave what he knew, his home, to live as a pilgrim and follow the Lord wherever God called him to go. And so we're going to look at the calling of Abraham in verse 8, by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place. We see that, that the foundation of our faith Rest solely upon the word of God. God appeared on Abraham and said, get thee out. He called him to go. And so the authority in which we simply live uh, or base our Christian faith is on the word of God, like it was for Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 1, now the Lord has said, the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out. He was a, we would say that Abraham very specifically, was a Bible-believing Christian. Bible-believing Christian. Because a Bible-believing Christian is one that adheres to the Word of God. Warren Reesby said, the true biblical faith is not an emotional kind of wishful thinking. It is an inner conviction based upon the Word of God. We don't have the Word of God. We don't have faith. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And this is why it's so important that we build upon the firm foundation of our faith, uh, which is the Word of God, which reveals the will of God. The Bible says in Psalm 11 verse 3, If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we have, you know, our society today, even within Christendom, 
trying to undermine the word of God. We have people today that basically say we don't have God's complete word. That the Bible contains only some of God's word. And so you have to beware of that. We, 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 we either know and understand that God is able to preserve his word over time and generations and that we have the full canon of, of scripture in which we base our, our life upon. If we don't have the word of God and we don't have the complete word of God for us as Christians, what do we have? Jesus said, no man lives by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we live by the word of God. Abraham was a man that lived by the word of God. The word of God was his authority. He, he went based upon thus saith the Lord. This is the same authority we as Christians rest upon to do what God has called us to do today. This is the whole point of Stephen starting with Abraham to show the, 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 the religious rulers that he obeyed God's word. It was God's word that was preeminent and God's word that is magnified and, 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 and revered. And Abraham was known as the father of faith because he re rested in the foundation of our faith, which is the word of God. You don't have the Word of God. You don't read the Word of God. You, you, you know nothing. You, 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 know, you don't know anything about God and who He is. This is why it's important that we continue to read the Word of God from cover to cover. We meditate upon the Word of God. We, we, we study the Word of God. We, we, we live in obeying the very things that God reveals to us. Matthew chapter 28, we see verse 18, Jesus came and spoke unto His disciples saying all power which is authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth notice this go in other words get thee out go god has called them to go like abraham go get thee out go you know this is the great commission which is given to the church beginning with the disciples, and it was like a baton that was passed by the authority of God's Word. This is why we do or should do as, uh, as believers. We go out because God said go. We're witnesses and we tell people about the Lord because God said go. It's the authority that we rest upon. The Great Commission wasn't given to the church as an option to consider, but rather it was given as a command to obey. And I wonder how many Christians are like Abraham, living out their faith by going in the sphere of their influence and the measure of faith and talents that God has given them to go and uh, declare the message of the gospel to a dying world, lost. John chapter 20, verse 21, Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even, I send, uh, uh, even so send I you. There's the authority. You know, Jesus came all the way from heaven by the authority of God the Father. Not to come and do his own will, but the will of the Father. God the Father sent him into the world to fulfill God the Father's plan. And we're, we're part of that plan, by the way. He was, he was to come to seek and save that which is what? Lost. This is a work of God that has called us simply to, to, to be saved, to be sanctified, to be servants, to be soul winners. This is what God has called us to do in the faith. And for every single one of us, again, in the, in the right proper form of commands given to each and every single one of us as, as, as uh, uh, men and women, as God called uh, ministers and separated to the gospel, to laymen, to others that are simply workers and so forth. But God has called every one of us to bear the good news to others in some form and some fashion. Jesus said unto his disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work. And so the call of God was given with authority and the authority of God. Jesus' authority was, was questioned all the time, or for the most part, by the uh, 
Pharisees and the religious rulers. He faced various questions by the chief priests and elders of the people. Questions like uh, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave you this authority? And so when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. He, in so much that many people were amazed by his holy boldness, his power, his liberty, uh, his, his, and, the, and the whole, uh, you know, preaching the whole counsel of God. And so Matthew 7, 28, came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Yeah, there are people today that will just teach about the Bible. Some of them are philosophers. They'll talk about the Bible. They'll try to pick the Bible apart. And they're well-spoken, very eloquent, very intellectual. Very intellectual. But Jesus, when he taught, he taught with conviction. When he approached the Pharisees or different people, he, 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 he preached the word and he exposed them. He taught the word and he brought light to people. And so if we, 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 if we are going to simply uh, you know, go out, we must go out with the authority of God's word and only teach and preach what the Lord has revealed to us. That's, that's where the power lies. The liar, the, the, the liar uh, or the deceitful false teacher is the one that uses God's words and twists it and adds to it or takes away from it. But one that preaches with authority, preaches, listen, thus saith the Lord. And that's what God has called us to do. The authority in which Abraham went out, went out by the authority of God's word. And listen, the prophets, every single one of them, went out by the authority of God's word. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Jeremiah was a perfect example of that. Jeremiah 1.4 was a perfect example of a prophet that spoke the things of God and, 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 and relayed, if you would, just said what God said to the people. He didn't, add, didn't take away just said what God said. This is what God said. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah 1.13, more of the, Lord, more, uh, the, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, uh, unto me the second time. Jeremiah 2.1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, uh, Jeremiah 2.4, Ye, the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Jeremiah 2.31, O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. You go to chapter 7, verse 1 to, uh, 1 to 2, the word, of, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say hear the word of the Lord or ye of Judah that enter into uh, enter in at these gates to worship the Lord all the way through Jeremiah's life that's only chapter 1 coming to chapter 7 all the way to uh, chapter 46 the word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Gentiles again chapter 47 verse 1 the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines again Jeremiah 49 verse 34 the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam all the way through what, what, what God wanted Jeremiah to say, he said. That's what a prophet is. There are some prophets that foretell the future. In other words, they get prophecy to say this is going to happen in the future. And there are prophets that foretell what God tells them to say. And they preach, they prophesy. Uh, I don't believe that there are any more prophets here today that foretell the future. You know why? John the Revelator closes the book of prophecy. And he makes it very clear, whoever adds or takes away from the prophecy of this book, God will add the plagues written to the book. This is why we reject uh, the Book of Mormon. This is why we reject uh, Ellen G. White, who says she's a prophet. This is why we reject uh, the Pope that tries to speak uh, in, a, in a manner that uh, is inspired, that he can speak in, in a way where he's, uh, uh, you know, uh, infallible. He can add, if you will, to the Word of God. No, no one can add. No one can take away. It's closed. That's why the charismatic movement is rampant today with people trying to reveal extra prophecy or foretell the future or dates or this or that. And they, you know what they do when they don't come to pass? They shame the name of God. They bring shame 
And they blaspheme God's name that way. Now, a true prophet of God is one that foretells uh, things to come and comes to pass. And a foreteller, which I believe, if I was to be a preacher slash prophet, is a foreteller of those things that were already told. In other words, I can prophesy the things that God had already prophesied that hadn't yet come to pass. This morning we had uh, things that we discussed about future things to come. The second coming of Christ. It hasn't happened yet. But I, uh, we, there are passages that allude to that. And, and so that's prophecy. That's why the Bible says despise not prophesying. So prophesying uh, is, is foretelling things that have already been told or forth. To, we don't have any prophets today adding to the book of Revelation or to the book of Acts. There are people out there that say, well, there's Acts chapter number uh, you know, 29. We are the Acts chapter 29. And they start trying to prophesy from their pulpits. There's someone in this room that has a headache. Anyone got a headache in this room, by the way? You know? Um, <laughs> silly, silly things. They've got, you know, this is not prophesying. This is, this is, this is being silly. This is, this is fortune, cook, fortune cookie prophesying. You know, I've, I've, people come up to me saying, you know, God's going to use you. Yeah, I, I know, he's using me now. You know, I've had people even in this church uh, once upon a say, I feel a burden, something's going to happen. Oh, really? I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen? <sighs> now you're thinking as a pastor, what's going to happen? And then things happen. <gasps> My burden came. It happened. Oh, really? Are you sure it wasn't something that you ate last night? Because here we find the truth of God's word of what will take place will take place. Do things happen around, uh, amongst us? Uh, do, do, we, do we pray? Does God visit us in a dream and all this? Yes, but some of those things cannot be uh, conclusive. In other words, that dream could be something that God reveals to us that perhaps is like deja vu, but I can't put my finger on it, what it means. It could mean the opposite. I don't know. I'm not one that can interpret dreams. Someone says, oh, I had a dream of Jesus and he was like this and was like that. And well, the Bible doesn't describe how Jesus looks like, so your dream now is authoritative. No, it's not. Your dream is not authoritative. The Bible's authoritative. Now, no, if your dream leads you to the Bible, to read the Bible, that's good. If your dream leads you to come to know more about Jesus Christ, that's good. But your dream is not authoritative. Your prophesying is not authoritative. This is the authority, the canon of Scripture. We don't need any more apostles. We don't need any more prophets. We don't need any more of these people that will come and tell us something that speaks against the Word of God. Amen. Well, they say, well, no, we're not speaking against the Word of God. It's, I'm an apostle, apostle and a prophet. It's in the Word of God. Well, if it's in the Word of God, I don't need you. I just need, we need preachers and evangelists and teachers like the Bible declares and pastors to, to continue to do the work of the ministry, to carry the Great Commission forth and to build people in the faith and to continue to build upon that which the apostles laid and the, and the prophets laid. That's, that's, that's the word of the Lord very clearly. And we see it take place in the book of Acts. Some things I believe take place in the book of Acts that will never happen again. It's prophecy coming to pass. Some things are going to take place in the future that won't happen now. It's prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. And so there are some things, you know, that we're waiting to happen. And while we wait, we go. You know what? There was a parable that Jesus told about. And, the, and, and what prompted the parable is that the disciples were asking about the kingdom, uh, thinking that it was going to come sooner than later. And then he gave them a parable about the talents. And he said to them this, Occupy till I what? And what did he want them to occupy with? Go out. Go! Go! But instead we're having churches today, modern churches, as entertainment. They're entertaining people. People falling, falling all over the ground. People disrespecting the Bible by having women preachers and the woke movement coming in. Trying to explain the way the true, plain, clear teaching of God's word. 
Our faith is built on nothing, nothing else than Jesus Christ, Himself, His Word, and the things that pertain in this book here. Not, nothing more, nothing less. You know, Christians, we can also be guilty of blaspheming God by saying, God told me. God told me this. God told me. What did God tell you? Now, God spoke to me through this principle. He encouraged my heart. But it's almost like, yeah, God told me. God, how do you know it's of God? The Bible says, test or, prove all test all spirits. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. How do you know it's of God? Because there are some things that we have done, or there are some people that have, Christians have done and said, God said when the, God didn't say. So we need to be very careful that we don't say, oh, God said, God said when God didn't say. At best, you could say, I believe God perhaps will have me do this or do that. I'm not sure. I'm going to pray and fast about it. And you know what? I'm going to follow the biblical principles from God's word that are clear. Thus saith the Lord. There are some people that would not dare to do anything unless they had a verse with it. There are pastors that would, would, would never approve any of the congregation of you know, their decision unless they had a verse and so they had to go find a verse to support what they were going to do you got a verse for that did god speak to you you know yeah get thee out well that was to abraham <laughs> that wasn't to you are you in the mesopotamia you know we can say you know abraham obeyed god i want to obey god god what would you have me to do and god's burdened my heart for this or for that I've prayed, I fast, and I believe God is leading me and ordering my steps. I want to obey the Lord of a strong burden, desire by the Spirit of God that dwells in me. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm not being deceived here <clears throat> to do this, to do that. Sometimes we go and we have uh, a work or a job interview, and people say to me, uh, Pastor, please pray for me. I've got this, please pray. Uh, so I'll pray that it's God's will for you. Because the natural implication is this, pray that I get the job. Or we think anything that, you know, the door's open and it's successful, it's of God. But it, it may not be true. I'm going to pray to see if it's God's will for you to have that job. And you know what? There could be warning and alarm bells right from the beginning by you asking questions. Is this going to interfere with Sunday? Is this going to interfere with this day or that day? If this, if this is going to, you know, is this going to take me away from my family? You know, there are a lot of things that we have to consider regarding the biblical principles that God has given us that help us govern our life, that help us know whether that job is suitable for us, whether that spouse is suitable for us. The principles of God's word is given from one generation to another generation for us to follow and pattern our lives after. And God does open and close doors. But it takes biblical discernment to know and understand the voice of God when you know the word of God. Anybody can say, God told me. I believe it's of God. But you have to be 100% sure from the scripture and, 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 and God working in your heart that it is so before making any decision. Especially those decisions that simply impact your life and the life of your family. And so all the true apostles of God went forth by the word of the Lord. You know, Paul said to Timothy this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, look at this by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. How was Paul made an apostle? Well, by the commandment of God. You know, God appeared unto him. God appeared to the prophets. You know, and today we have people saying, well, God appeared unto me and he said, I want you to be a prophet and an apostle. Now, we don't have that today. We don't need that today. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in also in power and in the Holy Ghost, in so much assurance that ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Look at, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. He says he very clearly, we were allowed of God <clears throat> to be put in trust with the gospel. You know why we can preach the gospel today? Because God gave us the authority to. You know why we can tell people about Jesus? Because God gave us the authority to. Our, if our calling to be a witness is from God, then our authority is from God. It must be. And we see Abraham departed by the word of the Lord. He was called to leave a, a known place to go to an unknown place. We see that in Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Abraham dwelt in a city. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Abraham dwelt in a city called Ur, which was the land of the Chaldea in Mesopotamia, which idolatry was rampant. Uh, this is where Abraham's father, Terah, served other gods before Israel would ever become a nation. We see that. <clears throat> Adam Clark says, Chaldea is sometimes understood as compromising uh, the whole of Babylonia. At other times, that province toward uh, Arabia's desert is called, uh, called in the scripture, the land of the Chaldeans. The capital of this place was Babylon called in the scripture the beauty of the Chaldeans excellency we see that in Isaiah 13 verse 19 he says and Babylon the glory of the kingdoms the beauty of the Chaldeans excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah so you can understand the kind of environment Abraham was in <clears throat> similar to our environment in the world today we're living in a wicked world man we live in a world that absolutely is wicked and is dark. It's wicked. It's, 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 you know, sin is absolutely rampant. You know, you know how wicked our society is getting? That the churches has become like the world. People don't know the difference between Christians in the world anymore. Because now the Christians become revel uh, you know, rev uh, uh, acceptable, if you will. Oh, we've got to be like them to win them. Don't you know that? No. Nowhere in the Bible says that we've got to be like them to win them. Actually, the Bible says we have to be different to make a difference. Unspotted from the world, that's different. Holy, that's different. Separate, that's different. And people will know when they come out, there's something different about these people. I was walking along the street handing out gospel tracts. And uh, the, there was a guy sitting, and, and he, you know, was conversing with other people here. And just before I could even say anything, he goes, don't even try. Get the F, this, that, and all the rest of it. <clears throat> I said, Okay, well, you're in a cult. I said, I'm in a cult and you're swearing. I'm in a cult. And, and he's going crazy. And I'm in a cult. Wow. I kept, we kept walking. See, people say silly things. They don't even know what they're saying. They're intimidated by the life that you live. They see something different. You know, the devil's so cunning that he sets up cults that have some sort of zeal for truth so that when you ever have a desire to love God, and, and honor God with your life, then, you know, he could labor you as one of them. So all of a sudden you say, well, I don't want to look like I'm a cult, between, you know, so I've got to have this and have that and have this and have that so the world can see me that I'm not a cult. I'm just like them. So all this trick in the book. You can think that I'm a cult all you want. I know what God thinks of me. I know what my family thinks of me. I know that those who are close and those that God has given me an opportunity to win to the Lord think of me. What you think of me is not going to stop me from being what God wants me to be in reaching people for the world. Well, see, so you don't have much. I don't want, I just want what God does. You know, if, if I wanted to compromise and, and, and be an ecumenical church, I'll have, we'll have a drum kit here. 
Well, yeah, we'll have a drum kit here, we'll dim the lights and we'll make, we'll put fluorescent lights here. Uh, people can hide in the dark, you know, and they could, you know, uh, come as you are, stay as you are mentality. Yeah, none of, don't preach on sin. Don't preach on holiness. Hey, don't, don't, preach, don't preach against women. Don't you understand how many people you will lose when you preach against women preachers? Yeah, don't preach on controversial things. Yeah, this is our society. This is, this is where we come. We can't preach on doctrine. If we dare to preach on doctrine and preach the truth of God's word, oh, be careful. No. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Reproof, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. All scriptures given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for what? For doctrine. You have no doctrine, you have no reproof. You have no correction. You have no instruction. You have no people becoming perfect or matured in the faith unto all good works. No doctrine, no, you don't have much. But that's what takes place today in our modern day uh, society. Not only the world is wicked, but the churches are inviting wickedness into their fellowship. <clears throat> Sometime during Abraham's adult life, his father, Terah, moved the whole family to a city of Haran, <clears throat> which is the northern Syria. Haran was a place where Terah dies. And God had called Abraham in, in Ur of the Chaldeans, but he had remained at Haran until his father died. And Abraham receives a call to leave Ur from Haran. <clears throat> we see that in verse 1. Now the Lord, now the Lord had said, in Genesis 12, and Abram, get thee out of the country from thy kindred and from thy father's house. So a man was practically recognized as a member of his father's household. And when the head of the household died, his heir supposed the titles and the responsibility of his father. And the family, land, property, all would be passed down and it could be that by leaving his father's household, Abraham was giving up his inheritance and perhaps the right to his family's uh, in, uh, you know, property and all the rest of it. And over here, Abraham was a man that was forsaking all, if you will, to follow the Lord. Luke 14, 26, uh, the Bible says, and Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, he and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And why does he use such a word of hate? Well, the love of to my God, the love for Christ, seems like I hate everything else. I'm not going to allow anyone or anything, even my own life, to get in, in the way of God's calling. I'm going to love God and put him first. In Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew Henry said, By this pre precept he was tried, whether he loved his native soil, he's talking about Abraham, and dearest friends, and whether he could be willingly leave all to go along with God. His country had become idolatrous. His kindred and his father's house were a consistent temptation to him. And he could not continue with them with, without danger of being infected by them. <clears throat> There's a point in, Christian, in the Christian life when he comes to Christ, he is going to get a lot of opposition. Some people do, some people don't. They get it in a minute manner, but there are other people that get a lot of opposition, especially from the family, a lot of pressure. And, uh, and, and they, I've had it done to me. My mum said to me, if you continue to go down to that church, which was a Bible-believing church, don't bother coming home. Uh, I know she would say that to manipulate me. I know that she would never want me to leave home. But she would say that so I could change my ways until she found out that what I was doing was something that she needed. And not long after, I got her a Bible and she started reading it and she got saved. Uh, compromise got no one nowhere. You think you compromise to make people happy? It's not going to happen. You put God first, you honor his word, God will bless you. God will bless you. And God blessed Abraham. 
He did. There is a cost <clears throat> for all believers who are called to follow the Lord. All believers. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 with me, please. <clears throat> Over here we see some disciples wanting to follow the Lord. Some are called to follow the Lord and we see different responses. But first of all, we see a call to sacrifice. If you want to follow the Lord, there's a call to sacrifice. As believers in Christ, as disciples, we know and understand that salvation is for free. The greatest sacrifice for our sin, for our salvation, was made by Jesus Christ. But there's a, there's, you know, to be a disciple of the Lord, it's, it, it, it's not for the faint-hearted. You know, there are many people that know and understand that even if they do come to the Lord, they have that knowledge uh, that they might lose some things. They already, they've already thought about it. I've seen the lives of others. And there are some eager people that want to be Christians and the Lord prompts them. And to be a Christian is to know and understand that you, you know, what Jesus has done for you. You accept the plan of salvation. You, you accept the down payment, the atonement. You repent and believe on Christ and Christ alone. But to be a disciple, to know and understand, to follow the Lord, it, it, it entails more than just a one-time call on the Lord. You, you're actually following the Lord with your life. Because that's, what, that's what's happening when you, when you get saved. You realise that you're not following the Lord. And that you need salvation. And then when you have salvation, you begin to follow the Lord. That's what a sheep does. He, he follows the shepherd, doesn't he? And so look at verse 57 of Luke 9. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, he even said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, you would look at that and say, mate, that's, that's good. I mean, that's just the heart of Abraham, isn't it? Abraham went wherever the Lord told him to go. That's good, isn't it? But what did the Lord say to him? That's a good desire. But what did the Lord say to him? And the Lord said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know, it was almost like giving him heads up. You know, the Christian life is full of sacrifices. You, when you grow to know the God of the book and you know the word of God, God begins to sanctify you. You will do some things that God will, will, God will expect you to do some things that is required of you that will require sacrifice. You know, Paul says to the Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Because this is what happens when you follow the Lord. You're going to end up sacrificing some things. And for some, it, it, it is different things to, in comparison to others. But you know what? It is a life of sacrifice. And we live in a modern day Christianity called convenient Christianity. I'll follow the Lord as long as it's convenient for me. I'll give the Lord this much time when it's convenient. The Lord can work around my clock. Putting the Lord first in all things is foreign to some Christians today. It's not a life of faith. You know what that is? It's faith distorted. It's religiosity. And the Lord, early in my Christian life, taught me that Christianity is not like Catholicism. It's not mass. It's not, you know, me merit, meriting God's favour because I'm in church today. You know, God's doing me a favour to be in church today. Amen? I get to praise God. I get to hear God's word. I get to fellowship with the brethren, people that are different than them, those persecutors. The worst thing is when you come to church and you're persecuted by some brethren. That's the worst thing. But when you have brethren that love you and you know they love you, mate, God's doing you a favor by being in the house of God and fellowshipping around the things of God. Jim Elliot once said, He is no fool who gives, up, who, who gives what he cannot keep 
to gain that which he cannot lose. <laughs> he had the right calculator. He calculated correctly. To follow the Lord is a blessing. It's a sacrifice, yes, but it's a blessing. You come and to learn to understand when you look back and you think, hang on a minute, what sacrifice was this? The Lord was blessing me. But in the beginning, it's a sacrifice. We are made of flesh. We are desires, our fleshly desires for selfish ambition. And when you come to know the Lord, He changes your heart. He begins to do a work that no man can do. And you yield to the Spirit's work in your life. Later on, you realize and you think, thank you, Lord. I thank God I don't do the things that I used to do anymore. I don't even want to do them anymore. Before it was a sacrifice, but now it's like, don't want to do them. I don't want to go to that place anymore. I don't want to watch those things anymore. I don't want to listen to that anymore. Oh, there could be some times that, you know, you may have, be homeless because someone kicked you out of, of their home because you followed Jesus. There are family members that do that. There are people in Islam that will actually kill someone if they followed Christ. Yes. We, I mean, here, we, we, Western countries, mate, sit back. We've got, we've got auditoriums now in churches that have got cup holders and popcorn and the lights and oh, cafeterias all over the place. We're living in a very convenient Christianity. Yep, mate, those people, they're martyrs for Christ. We're here, we're waiting till the Lord returns to take us, you know, and they're just, just let the apostles do it and let, just let all the prophets do it and all those people that we hear about in, in, in the biographies, let them do it. And let's keep, let's keep listening to the biographies and see how great they sacrifice for the Lord. Convenient Christianity is what we're living in today. John Patton said this, if I can only live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. God will give me a new body in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Look at verse 59. Look at verse 59. Now he's, he, he's, it's a call to seek God first. He says, and he, and he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Okay, I mean, isn't that good? Doesn't, doesn't the Lord want us to look after our family and honour our parents and give them a good burial? I mean, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? What did the Lord say, him, say to him? And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go and preach the what? Listen, if God has called you to preach... Don't make any excuses. Put God first. You know, your father's old, he's about to die, you've got to look after him. Yeah, make sure he's taken care of, but not on the expense of God's calling. Can you imagine if Abraham said that? Well, hang on, Lord, I've just got to make sure, you know, that everything is set. No, he, his father died. He went out still. He, he, he was honoring, if you will, God's call over those things that he could have possessed when his father died. Now, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it would happen to some people that you're confronted with that. There's, you know, Jesus is not being nasty, by the way, and saying he doesn't care for people. He's just simply trying the heart of people when they make, I believe, personally, making excuses to put you know, other things before God. You know what I call it? I call it giving God the leftovers. You know, God doesn't want your leftovers. Because I guarantee you, there's always something else. Lord, I will serve you once I finish uh, university. Lord, I will serve you once I get my degree. Lord, I will serve you once I finish doing this. Lord, I will serve you once I've done that. Lord, I'll, I will serve you once I get married. Lord, I'll, get, I'll serve you once I have kids. Lord, I'll serve you when I retire. <laughs> uh, my question is, why can't you serve the Lord and put him first and have some of those things in their good places? Because you can but some people will never serve the Lord. They're just doing their own thing. God calls them, hang on a minute, yeah, I'm just doing this, I'm, I'm busy doing this. And, and they think, oh, just rock up at church, you know, I made it, I made it to church. Wow, no, well, what about serving the Lord? 
What about going out by the authority of God's word to, to be a witness and a light and a salt to people? I think that's important. God doesn't want our crumbs and leftovers. Juan Weasby said, uh, Lot let God, uh, sorry, Lot left God out of his decisions and ended up in the darkness of a cave practicing terrible sin. He did not put God first in his selection of a, of a place to live and raise his family. And in that, that's what tends to happen. He got closer and closer and closer to the world. When you're out of God's will, not doing what God's called you to do, guess where you're going to end up? Perhaps, perhaps like Demas, isn't it? And then we see not only a call to sacrifice, and a call to put God first, to seek God first, but a call to be steadfast. Look at verse 61. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at my house. And look at verse 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man, listen, no man, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what we call this, or at least what I call this, we are not called to live a half-hearted Christianity. Lord, I'm, I'm coming, but let, let, me, let me just say you know, goodbye to my family. Let me, let me just... Bid them farewell. You know, it's almost like his heart was torn. It's almost like he was double-minded. You say, how do you get that? I get that by the response of Jesus Christ. No man that puts his hand on the plough and looking back. What are you looking back? What do you want? Your heart is still there? You remember when Elisha was called by Elijah? I mean, you look at his story, mate. If you look at his story and you know what he did to his... He, he made sure that he got rid of some stuff so he would never go back to it. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying. Abraham, you're not going to go back. You think Abraham was going to go back? No, no, no Christian that God calls him to go forward is supposed to be looking back. God cannot use double-minded men or women. What, do you, what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back? You know, Stephen used Abraham as an example to point us to Christ. Because Abraham saw the promise by faith. He saw that foundation whose builder and maker was God. And you know, that's what's going to keep us. When we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we lay aside every weight and every sin that hinders our life and our, 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 our Christian race, if you will. If you go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 2, have a look at this. We'll close with this. Acts chapter 7, look at verse 2. And he said, men and brethren and fathers, this is Stephen preaching, remember, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our Father. Stephen here begins with the glory of God and finishes with the glory of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, he, being full of the Holy Ghost, Stephen looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Any person that responds to the call of God has a, this, 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 the presence of God in their life. This overwhelming favor of God. You know, it, it, they were blessed and privileged people to have the glory of God, Israel, appear under them. 
The, the, uh, Paul said to the Romans in Romans 9.4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers and of who as concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God blessed forever Abraham uh, was 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 a person that pointed to Christ that's why he said it very clearly to them if they believed Abraham or they believed Moses, they would believe him. Because they pointed to Christ. And the glory of God continued to appear to the children of Israel in tabernacles and temples. The Shekinah glory there in the Holy of Holies. And the glory of God soon departed from them and would soon appear through the only begotten Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was what? But the Word became flesh. And what happened? And He dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His what? His glory as only begotten of the Father. In Acts chapter 7 verse 3, And He said unto them, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, kindred and come into a land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charan. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him. Look at this. Into this land, he removed him. God appeared unto Abraham and called him out of wickedness and darkness and led him into the light by faith. He removed him. What a beautiful thing to be removed out of darkness into the marvelous light you know that's what happens when you come to Christ he removes you out of darkness into the marvelous light and we as pilgrims and strangers are supposed to live up to our calling have a look at first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation look at this a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness in, into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but uh, are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He removed him. And he removed him to be a testimony of God's grace and to be an example of someone that lived by faith. You know why Abraham was called a friend of God? Because the Bible says he believed God. And what was the evidence of his faith? He says, get me out. Listen. And he went out. He went out. And where he went, he built altars unto the Lord. He loved the Lord. He worshipped God. He was sold out. He was a friend of God. He had a heart of God. And he would be one pointing to Christ. That's why Stephen started with Abraham. He didn't start with Moses. He started with Abraham in whom the promise was given and Jesus said before Abraham I am in other words Jesus was the self-existing one and today listen if you've believed on Christ you are fulfillment of the of, of, of the promise made to Abraham and so how are we supposed to live by faith by faith how do you live by faith the just shall live by faith how is one supposed to live by faith? This. Christians, our Bible, listen, should never collect dust. Never. You should know where you're up to when you're reading the Bible. And I'm not saying doing it as a chore. If you read this Bible as a chore, you'll, no, 
You read to learn to know the will of God so you can live by faith. And I guarantee you, when the preaching happens, when the preacher speaks, you're not going to be like these Pharisees. Because that's what happened at the end. Let's get him! No. You're going to adhere to the very things that the Bible speaks about. Your heart will dance. If you're not prone to say amen, your heart says it all. This is true. I want to obey it. You don't have anything against the preacher. As much as the flesh gets offended, the Spirit of God in you says, this is true. I need this. You know? yeah. May God help every single one of us follow the example of Abraham and live by faith because the just shall live by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father,